Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I'm Julie Douglas. And my name is Ben Bolin. I uh, host Car Stuff, Stuff They Want You to Know. And today I am guest hosting with you, Julie. That's right. Uh, Today, Robert is not here. But in his stead is Mr. Ben Bolin, and Robert will be back um, t- uh, for April 5th and Infinity, beyond mm-hmm. that. But uh, so thank you very much for hanging out with us today. Oh, thank you. I'm actually a uh, big-time fan, long-time listener, first-time co-host. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> know. Uh, it's, it's very nice to have you here because today's topic we think is is going to be, lend itself nicely to April Fool's Day mm-hmm. and a bit of what you do with stuff they don't want you to know because you deal with conspiracy theories all the time, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, in a lot of ways, I would say it's, it's the focus of stuff they don't want you to know. We also, uh, cover some paranormal things, but if we're talking about conspiracy theories, uh, let's, let's go ahead and, uh, take it all the way to the top. Let's, let's take it to the moon, to the moon. Mm-hmm. All right. You're, you're speaking of the, Conspiracy theory that the moon landing was just a hoax perpetrated by the United States government. Yes. And this is, uh, that's, that's great. You've encapsulated it in a sentence. This, if, if conspiracy theories were like a band and they had a discography, this would be on the greatest hits because this is one of the, uh, classic conspiracies and it ranges the reasons that, uh, people believe the moon landing was faked, uh, can, can change depending on the circumstances and the conversation. Right. Uh, but you know, we've got an excellent, uh, we've got an excellent article from our own John Fuller, right? That's right. And our wonderful that, editor, John, and it's a great article. Mm-hmm. And it's about, uh, why some people believe the moon landings were a hoax. And you know, there are some reasons that you'll typically hear. Oh yeah. I mean, you, they're really, really, um, Typical things are that if you look at the photographs, there are no stars in the background, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and they say, well, if there's no there are no stars, obviously this was done on a set. Sure, right. Yeah. And NASA's like, you know what? That's not actually why. It's because the sun's rays are hitting the surface, and it's way too bright for any camera to capture something in the distance, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, there are these reasons that seem kind of logical that that you can see in conspiracy theory. You know, starting to weave them their way in. Mm-hmm. But then you can refute it just as easily with, well, science and facts. Sure. And an empirical objective observation. Um, there's also, you know, it's funny. This is a sidebar. This conspiracy theory, one of the furthest reaches of it yeah. uh, is the idea that Stanley Kubrick, no one other than Stanley Kubrick himself actually participated and was the one who filmed the fake landing on the moon. Of course. I know. It all makes sense now. The pieces come together. Oh, my God. It totally makes sense because he's got skin in the game with mm-hmm. 2001. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and all it's, making sense to and me. And it sounds sort of reasonable. Of course, these explanations people would have if they don't uh, if they don't seem to quite jibe with what you already know, yeah. then there must be a reason for that. And the reason, of course, can't be that we were wrong. Oh, no. Right. No, no. What's a, what's another really good one from that? Uh, okay, let's go with uh, the infamous Sea Rock. Uh, a lot of uh, people who believe the moon landing was faked will tell you that it was a prop that was that accidentally was shown on film with the letter C on it. Like someone, some uh, 
foolish prop person forgot to turn the rock around because, you know, whatever, like maybe the company's logo was emblazoned on it and the sea was showing. Right. And uh, never mind that NASA says this is most likely a stray hair that uh, got onto the film in the developing process because, of course, that's just smoke and mirrors. Right, right. That's just, of course, yeah, NASA would say that. That mm-hmm. seems really logical. Mm-hmm. That and that's NASA. that's not the only one, of course. You you know, uh, I'm sure we have a list of these here somewhere. Um Shadow lengths. Oh yeah, the different shadow lengths. Uh, they were saying, okay, here's a, here's a photo of two astronauts are standing together, and yet their photo is showing these lengths that are disproportionate. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Why is that? Yeah, yeah. And so NASA says, okay, again, it's not some sort of faulty lighting system that we used mm-hmm. on our set that you think we built. It's actually that the terrain is rough and it's hilly and it produces variances, just like if you were to take a picture on a snow-covered hill. Right. And that, you know, of course, that makes sense, uh, again, if you have taken photographs on a snow-covered hill. But, of course, if you believe that this is all some sort of large attempt to cover up, quote unquote, the truth, then, of course, NASA is going to come up with explanations that may even seem clever. Right. But but they don't jibe again with what you're thinking. Another example, the American flag flapping in the breeze. Uh, as we know, the, one of the reasons that there's not a resort on the moon yet is that the atmosphere <laughs> is not conducive to uh, human beings or wind. And uh, so the idea is how could how could the wind uh, show a flag or how could the film show a flag flapping in the breeze? Right. And that's that's one of the other points. I mean, we you know, we could go on about this. Uh, we go on about this forever. And um, Robert, I apologize if people write mean things about moon landings to you. Please, <laughs> please, guys, forward the email to me. Um, you know, you have other accusations, slow motion films and wires. And for a long time, these groups, the people who believed in, that the moon landing was fake for some reason, and the people who believed that those people were crazy, mm-hmm. uh, were understandably contentious. And Right. And, um, I'm right, you're wrong. Right, right, yes. And uh, it was difficult for them to have a dialogue about that until... Julian Assange of WikiLeaks released some very interesting cables uh, regarding the moon landing. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it turns out it's conclusively proven uh, due to the – or from these diplomatic cables uh, that the moon landing was faked with the assistance of Stanley Kubrick. Uh, this just hit the news. Go ahead and Google it. You're kidding. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, to make sure you get right to the story, go ahead and Google Happy April Fool's Day. Because, uh, uh, ben Bolin. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's. Uh, but do you see how easy yeah. that was? Mm-hmm. I started to. I was like, what? WikiLeaks? Wait, this is a new source. Because mm-hmm. it sounds reasonable. Right. If something like that was going to come from somewhere. Right, right. Our new source in, in the sense that we're starting, obviously, to get a flood of information we haven't gotten before. Sure. New sensory information. Right. And my brain was starting to take that in. And I have to say, like, I was like, okay, no, and he's, he's not, he's not actually telling the truth over there. But a little part of my brain was going, but WikiLeaks mm-hmm. is telling us stuff we haven't known before. And I think that's what's so fascinating about just the whole is the man, uh, the moon landings, were they a hoax? But the fact that, you know, we have, this sort of logic that can't help but assemble itself mm-hmm. on its own. It's almost like its own emergence in our brain cells, trying to put all this together for us. And I was thinking about it. 
you know, we can't help but detect patterns. And especially when we look at past examples um, that have eroded our faith in information, mm-hmm. in government, in the corporations. And a really good example is the cigarette industry. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah, I mean, you know, for years, you know, decades long footsie playing with the government in terms of the information that they released about cigarettes and how harmful they are. Sure. So you've got an example like that. And the public well knows now that that was information that was kept from them. You've got Watergate. Mm-hmm. You've got Millie Vanilli. <laughs> sure. You know, I mean, yes. these are things that you can start to point to and say, you know, if it happened before, you know, why couldn't it happen again? This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because human beings uh, depend, the the way that the human species has survived for so long is really based on this ability to detect patterns yeah. and to think critically and abstractly uh, about the future or to let the precedent set from those past experiences influence our attitudes and behaviors uh, when confronted with information that seems similar or seems to, again, coincide with what we had believed before. And this can lead to a uh, funny little thing. And by funny little thing, I mean one uh, an enormously influential theory of psychology yeah. uh, that we call cognitive dissonance. Yeah. It's the bread to the butter when it comes to conspiracy theories and how we try to explain to ourselves um, how this could happen. And I will, you know, I, will, I do want to say, like, I'm not making fun of conspiracy theorists and mm. I'm not making light of um, any of this. But I do think that we all have a little bit of a conspiracy theorist inside of ourselves. Sure. Right? And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be um, for something like uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be for something like the idea that. The world is ruled by Freemasons or reptilian aliens or anything. It right. can be, it can, it can be a small, uh, sort of theory as, uh, I think we talked about a little bit before on the air where you say, you know, ah, that person's after me. Yeah. Yeah. Or my cat. Mm-hmm. My cat is purposely, you know, perpetrating this crime against me. I just know it. I just well, need to get that camera in my house hooked mm-hmm. up and then I'll have evidence. Well, cats are, are actually vengeful creatures. So I don't know yeah. if that's the best <laughs> that's example. That's a bad example. Yeah. Right. But I mean, basically, when you bring up cognitive dissonance, what we're talking about in, in, in more highfalutin terms is that when actions conflict our, with our beliefs, they can produce a phenomenon called cognitive dissonance. And it's essentially a way of dealing with the discomfort that arises when your brain is trying to parse out two different cognitions, mm-hmm. uh, which can then be manifested in our beliefs or our actions. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's the if, – if I could take us with a historical sidebar real oh, quick. please do. Okay. So uh, this term, cognitive dissonance, we, we get this from the 1950s uh, by a social psychologist named Leon Festinger. And uh, the interesting thing is his, his research came about because he was trying to understand why a UFO doomsday cult uh, – increased uh, trying to proselytize new believers when their prophecy failed. So this actually does come from a, a study of conspiracy theory. Okay. So, and so his he kind of sat there and went, hey, now that, that um, it's obvious that the UFOs maybe mm-hmm. didn't have the, the evidence that the, this group thought right. that there was, mm-hmm. why in the world would they continue with their beliefs, right? He uh, was like, yes. what's going on here? 
Excellent question. For for the uh we'll do the reader's digest version of this. So basically there's uh this person, this cult leader who begins receiving messages, of course, uh intangible messages from a UFO uh telling her about the end of the world, uh, gathering up followers. Uh, these, uh, she forms a cult. These people are, um, together united in their preparation for a coming apocalypse okay. with a definite date and the date comes and it goes and not the world surprisingly does not end. Uh, but the cult leader, uh, Strangely enough, gets a new message that says, due to their, the good works of the cult and the good intentions or whatnot, um, they have saved the world, which means that their, uh, religion is now not disproven, but further validated, which means that they have somehow, um, this, this kind of attempt to even out or balance the uh, gap between the knowledge that they have, which right. is that the world has not ended, and the <laughs> actions that they took, you know, um, and to make themselves, I don't want to say feel better, but to sort of rationalize the distance between those two. I don't know, though. I think that's the crux of it. I mean, because that is the discomfort they're feeling, right? Yes, like that's like, the cognitive dissonance. Okay, they're like, that is not matching up. And mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, the, the, uh, the cult leader... In automatic writing, right? Which is like so 1880s. Nice, yeah. Love it. Um, you know, gets this message and then they're all relieved of that discomfort and mm. that relief outweighs the, the chance, I suppose, for true knowledge mm-hmm. in Absolutely, this case. Yeah. And so they're, they're going to be tied to that because at least they're feeling better and it's all squared to their logic and life is normal again, at least for them. <laughs> you know, right, right, you know, right. Whatever normal is. Mm-hmm. And, and then with, uh, as Fessinger was exploring this, you know, he said that there are, um, that this dissonance produces a discomfort and correspondingly there will arise pressures to reduce or eliminate this dissonance. And, you know, he goes on to analyze the ways in which, uh, this dissonance occurs. Yeah. And how it resolves, and he found that there are uh, several ways to to find this. Uh, to there are several ways to deal with this cognitive dissonance. Okay. And <laughs> I'll tell you what they are. Um, a person may try to change one or more of their behaviors or beliefs. That's the first way. The second is that a person may try to acquire new information or beliefs to increase the consonants. Which will lessen the overall dissonance. I mean, that's, that's obvious in the case of, mm-hmm. of the UFO cult. Sure. And then the third is that a person may try to forget or play down the importance of the cognition that's butting up against the contradictory cognition. And there's our smoking example again, right? There's a, there's yeah. a great example of smoking. Um, and this is from Fessinger again. I'm quoting Fessinger. Uh, he says, for example, a cigarette smoker who believes that smoking is bad for his health has an opinion that is dissonant with the knowledge that he is continuing to smoke. He may have many other opinions, beliefs, or items of knowledge that are consonant with continuing to smoke, but the dissonance still exists too. And because of that, comf- because of that discomfort, you know, because humans want patterns, we want all the pieces of a puzzle to fit. Right. Um, because of that, this smoker in this question may try to change a behavior or belief, may try to quit smoking, for instance, 
uh, may try to learn uh, new things that will increase the consonants. Something that says, well, smoking might be bad for other people, but for me, it's actually genius. Um, <laughs> you know, or may just try to forget it or play it down. You know, never mind. I'm young or I'm under a lot of stress. Yeah, yeah. And that forgetting part, right? I, mm-hmm. I have to say, I have to admit that when I was a smoker, I oftentimes, you know, sort of willfully forgot the fact that I was doing all sorts of crazy things to my poor cells and my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it happens, right? And that's why I say it's, it's real. This, this is so fascinating because there is a little bit of cognitive dissonance going on with us, all of us at some level every day. Sure. With, with the, the things that we're dealing with. And then you just see it in really extreme forms and stuff like, uh, conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. uh, revolving around the moon for instance. sure yeah. sure or we we can also see uh at times um cognitive dissonance can really come out in uh decision points you know yeah. uh for for instance you'll often hear that people will say a uh a public figure or a politician or a a, a large um very influential business owner is saying things that seem to be hypocritical mm-hmm. but how much of that is actually how much of that is um, malevolent or calculated, and how much of that is just these poor folks functioning under cognitive dissonance? Yeah. So, it, and, and basically funneling those perceptions through, right? Mm-hmm. So, th- this is really interesting. There is a neuroscientist named Cameron Carter at the University of California, Davis. And um, this is actually information pulled from a Newsweek article titled Wired for Hypocrisy by Sharon Begley. Um, Carter used volunteers to study their brains basically during cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did that with fMRI. And the volunteers spent 45 minutes doing a really rote task inside the fMRI tube. And then afterward, they were asked to answer questions about their experience, which, of course, the board across the board, they did not like. Right. Which yeah. seems obvious, right? You're stuck mm-hmm. in a tiny little tube doing for 45 kind of minutes. Boring. Yeah, doing something boring. And you're really going to probably, at least I would highly dislike it. That's what I would check. Highly disliked. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were a- asked to answer the questions again that they had answered after their first experience. Mm-hmm. And this time, half of the volunteers were told that their answers were going to be read by a nervous patient who needed reassurance about undergoing an fMRI. The other half were told that they were going to get a dollar each time they answered the questions as though uh, they were enjoying the scanner. Kitching, so as though, so that's the that's the important part to answer the questions, mm-hmm. um, with uh, to sort of present an opinion publicly that does not match with their personal opinion or experience. Yeah, and and of course, like, I'm just going to ask, like, which do you think, which scenario do you think was more effective? Hmm, that's you know that's a question for me that's tricky because it seems. You know, on, on the offset, just with this information, it seems like there may be a difference between the people, uh, who amongst us are profiteers and who amongst us are nurturing people. Okay. Okay. Uh, but you know what? Uh, for just, just for guessing, just for the sake of guessing, I would say that the people who are, um, the people who are motivated by the money probably think that the and probably actually think that this might be a better thing. No, 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 no. Wait. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I think you just revealed your your black capitalist heart. I did. I'm a profiteer. You did. You're a profiteer. Actually, it was the people who were most concerned about the nervous patient. Mm-hmm. And, and the 
exciting thing about this whole thing um, wasn't necessarily that they could see the the neural correlations, what mm-hmm. was going on inside of their brain when they were lying, because they also took the fMRI when they were um, when they were essentially lying on those tests sure. to see what was going on. Um, all of those brain, all those areas in the brain were active. All those areas that are trying to square two different pieces of information. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that was definitely happening. And that is interesting in and of itself. But the really, again, the really interesting thing was that it it was the people who, um, who were trying to, trying to reassure, yeah, Yeah. that this, this, uh, phony patient that it was okay. Those were the people who had the most activity. Mm. And then those were also the people who afterward continued to say that they had a good experience. Oh, and that they may- changed their yeah. brain essentially. Like they, they mm. changed their actually their actions and their beliefs based oh, on this. Julie, there is a there is a fan of Orwell somewhere out there on the internet listening to the show <laughs> right now, and they're waiting for us to say it. You win. Double think. It's it's almost it's it's kind of similar to that, and it it sort of makes sense because if you think about it, your cognitive dissonance is sort of your brain asking. Why is this happening? Why yeah. am I doing this? Yeah. Um, and now that I have that answer wrong, it makes sense that the people who are receiving an external reward or an external justification for their lying will find themselves, uh, less, uh, you know, with less of a desire to internally retrofit their ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So they can say, well, they can say, you know, well, of course I'm, I'm lying to these people. I, I'm getting a dollar every time. Let me lie to some more people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They don't really have any skin in the game emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. But when you're trying to be involved, um, and motivate someone, I guess, in a, uh, in a, in a qualified way, whether, when your uh, reward is something that is qualitative rather than quantitative in this case, right? Yeah. They're trying to make somebody feel better. And in the process of saying all these, it's not that bad. It's not that boring. You're yeah. going to have fun. In the process of that, they're starting to um, sort of pull the move that uh, Merlin pulls in a Connecticut yanking King Arthur's court, the Mark Twain book. Uh, Merlin makes the mistake of a lot of magicians and believes that his stuff is actual magic. Yeah. And uh, so you start to believe yourself as you sell these things. Well, I will tell you, I, I'll give you a personal example, and it'll be a short one. But when we were at South by Southwest, I was um, at the Austin airport and I was coming home and it was overbooked, of course. Mm-hmm. And I had not had a seat confirmed yet, even oh, though, no. you know, I'd had my um, my arrangements made well in advance. And so what happened is I got bumped from that plane and I was rerouted to St. Paul, Minnesota, and then back down to Atlanta. St. Paul? Yeah. Wow. I was mad. Okay. I was steaming mad. Understandably. I was like a lobster that had crawled out of the pot and I was seeking revenge. <laughs> um, and they said, okay, well, and I'm not going to tell you how much they paid me for my inconveniences, but they paid me a considerable sum. And at the time I was like... Yeah, whatever. Money doesn't matter. You're awful. Blah. I can tell them they're awful. Cause it's the principle of the thing. Though. Right. I did. I did actually say it's the principle of the thing and thanks a lot and whatever. Um, and I have to say that ever since then, I applied that money to a mini vacation and the experience feels a lot less awful than it was. Cause it was, it was like then it was, you know, another eight hours of travel. Sure. Um, and so on and so forth. But I'm going to tell you that that sort of cognitive dissonance was dispelled by the folks at Delta. 
So and, I know that they're studying this. <laughs> and you're now you're reaching the state of consonants. Yeah. Where things are starting to fit together. Things are fine. But not a mini vacation. But here's the question. Oh, and and just for the uh, just for the goodies for the people who love the uh, love the specifics and the anatomical. Yeah, yeah. We uh, should details. we should talk about the parts of the brain that that are lighting up during the fMRI. So cognitive dissonance engages the uh, dorsal anterior cingulate cortex and anterior insula. Yes. These are the parts that these are the parts that light up. If you want to look on a uh, map of the brain, will not light up. I don't mean like someone's brain is made of LEDs. Right. But, but this is the, the, the blood is rushing to those parts of the brain. Sure. The activity increases there, uh, during these cognitive dissonance things. And Julie, I have to ask you, um, do you think that this experience, uh, in, in your personal life has given you a confirmation bias? Uh, I don't know that it's given me a confirmation bias, but I can tell you that I've certainly felt or, or had my own confirmation biases mm. in my own life. And uh, when we talk about confirmation bias, it's really similar to cognitive dissonance. And that, again, we can't help but create patterns out of random randomness. Yes. Like yeah. the uh, like the Supreme Court of the United States, the uh, the human species, uh, the human brain places a great value on precedent and uh, on expectations that the past should match the present and the future. Right. And there is a really interesting book, uh, Leonard Metalonov. Excuse me, let me try that again, because I'm sure that at least his his family would appreciate that I pronounced it correctly. But Leonard Millet now. Mm. It's called Drunkard's Walk. And it's a book about randomness, and it turns chaos theory. Um, and Metalow is also the co-writer of A Brief History Time with uh, Stephen Hawking. And for those of you that are interested in this, he's also the, uh, the victor of a YouTube face-off with Deepak Chopra on quantum entanglement and spirituality. And I know some people are going to love to check out that one. It's really, it's actually pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely recommend it. But he talks about the confirmation bias, um, and he says that when we are in the grasp of an illusion, or for that matter, whenever we have a new idea, instead of searching for ways to prove our ideas wrong, we usually attempt to prove them correct. Psychologists call this confirmation bias, and it presents a major impediment to our ability to break free of the misinterpretation of randomness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes on with, to make matters worse, not only do we preferentially seek evidence to confirm our preconceived notions, but we also interpret ambiguous evidence in favor of our ideas. This can be a big problem because data are often ambiguous. So by ignoring some patterns and emphasizing others, our clever brains can reinforce their belief even in the absence of convincing data. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I think is interesting about confirmation biases. It is like cognitive dissonance, but this is more behavioral, I suppose. Sure. Um, and, and again, stems from our experiences and pointing back to what our expectations mm-hmm. are. And I thought that was so fascinating about the not looking at the ways that were wrong. Because mm-hmm. we always assume that we're right, and, yeah, and and a lot of and a lot of people, myself included, at times, you know, it's nobody's favorite thing to be wrong. No, that's, no, that's who goes around saying like, how are, how am I wrong in the following ways at this very moment? You know, no, I I I try to do that when I'm working on something really important right before I put it out because right, you know, that's just but that's just sort of a way to uh proofread or cross check yourself. Right. And in the natural world in informal situations, that doesn't really happen. People want to know if you if you, for instance, believe that the moon landing is faked when you're reading things, you're reading things 
science proves that you are reading things <laughs> that will tend to reinforce your beliefs rather mm-hmm. than uh, denigrate or erode those beliefs. Right. You're often going to seek out information that that uh, corroborates what you're thinking, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to give you an example, actually, of <laughs> confirmation bias. Excellent. That I think that we have here um, perpetuated by me. And this is from a, a listener email. It's from Russ Smith. And he says, hey, guys, Russ in Alliance, Ohio here. I love the show. I'm a college student and listen to your podcast all the time, walking to and from class. But as a side note, you should always be aware of your surroundings, especially when you're walking by yourself or in the dark. That's true. Just a small correction, though. In one of your recent podcasts, you mentioned the Lorax cutting down needs. Uh, the Lorax was speaking for the excuse me. I flubbed that. I'm sorry. Um, cutting down trees, not needs, and causing the environmental change. In fact, it was the Wunsler who cut down the trees to make the needs. The Lorax was speaking for the trees against the Wunsler. Mm. All the best, Russ. Okay, so that was me, um, and I do this all the time. I always, when I mean to talk about the Wunsler, I mm-hmm. always talk about the Lorax because in my mind, it's axe cutting down. Ah, uh, yes. Lorax. Yeah. And I cannot square it. And it mm-hmm. drives me nuts because honestly, I read this book at least once a week to my two-year-old, not, mm-hmm. not just my own personal reading. So anyway. So confirmation bias? Confirmation bias right there. Well, actually, not, not that's so not much. confirmation yeah. bias. That's cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So yeah, I mean, there, that's an action right there. My brain is trying to square it. So mm-hmm. myth, mufford, move on my part. Oh, but that's just part of the human condition. So now we have a uh, final proof. Um, as some of the uh, conspiracy fans have asked me, we have final proof that uh, at least one of the people who works at House of Works is not a robot or an android. Yes. That is a real f- letter that I received. Really? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, but how, I mean, you're kind of shimmering a little bit. I mean, how do I know that you're not, you know, a hologram like beamed in here by the Illuminati? That's a, uh, that's a great question. And that might be, that might be a podcast that goes, uh, more, more on my end. Uh, we have, when we have you guest hosts, um, well, some people would say that, uh, some people would say, A, that's, that's ridiculous because the technology doesn't exist. But people who already believe that, of course, would say, no, person A, you're being ridiculous because that technology does exist. And it's obviously been suppressed for thousands of years. Insert various building blocks of, uh, existing thought, uh, or existing school of thought there. Um, people will, uh, in almost, you know, it's easy to, to describe this in terms of conspiracy theories, but this is a common phenomenon in, uh, the human brain, both cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias. I don't know. I, I just, you're shimmering again. And, I now I'm starting to think maybe you've just been sent to talk about this and maybe make me think that the the moon landing actually was not a hoax and you were sent here, weren't you? Well, that is a very interesting question that we cannot answer completely. I am not at liberty to divulge that information. All right, fine. Without fine. confirming or denying it, I have some uh some great news, which is that our own Science guru Robert Lamb will be returning uh, very soon. That's right. That's right. And we'll be talking about uh, – why should we be talking about phalanges next week and why we have five on each hand? Which is such a good question. It is. It, it actually, it's really fascinating. So we'll explore that. 
But before we wrap up today, I just wanted to give a really quick shout out to Rich Miles. It is your birthday. Happy birthday, Happy Rich. Happy birthday, March 31st. Um, he is in Laramie, Wyoming. And uh, Nicole and his uh, girlfriend, Micah, actually wanted to, to, to give you a shout out. So um, it's your birthday. It's your it's birthday. birthday. It's bir- birthday. We, we won't do that too much. But really, I hope you have a wonderful birthday. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for listening. And I would love to know, Ben Bolin. Yes, Julie Douglas. Can you tell us? Where people can reach you, how they can find you. Oh, in yeah. your various forms, holographic forms. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, you can find, uh, you can find car stuff, stuff they want you to know, um, and stuff of genius on, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter. We've got, got blogs. Um, also, let me pass the shout out baton, uh, to our own John Fuller, of course, who's written this, uh, excellent article about yes. the moon landings. Now you can you can find John's uh, article along with several other interesting, fascinating articles on the website howstuffworks.com. You've probably heard about our handy search bar. That's right. Just pop it in there, and you can also find stuff to blow your mind at Blow the Mind at Facebook and Twitter. And you can also drop us a note, let us know what your favorite conspiracy theory is at Blow the Mind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. 